this is Stephanie Hansen, and you are listening to The Makers of Minnesota, the podcast where we talk to cool people doing cool things throughout the state of Minnesota. We feature different entrepreneurs, and this week we are talking to Rachel Nearhood. She is the author of Ellie and Ott. It is, Ellie and Ott is a series of baby books that match childhood development with where your child and your skill sets are as a parent as you've had just a new baby. Rachel, what was it about this particular journey that you were like, this is the flag I'm going to put in the ground. This is my entrepreneur life. So I've always loved education. That was a big thing for me. I studied um, business and entrepreneurship in school. And um, after that, worked at different research and kind of consumer research, medical research and consulting uh, companies. And always had this like love of education. I would do, you know, read articles and listen to podcasts about it. And I knew I never wanted to be a teacher. I'd be a horrible teacher. (laughs) But I was always like, how could I maybe get into this space and kind of help it out? And I was sitting next to this woman at a dinner a number of years ago, and she was talking about early childhood education. So the first three years of life, essentially. And I was just kind of enthralled by the importance of that time. And so started doing more research into it and realizing that there are so many things that you learn. But as an adult, you don't remember that you ever needed to learn like object permanence that you didn't understand that when you couldn't see a thing, it didn't exist. That's <laughs> like, right. It's funny because especially when it comes to like parents who didn't go to school to learn how to be a parent, like nobody studies this. Nobody has a degree in parenting. You just like have a baby and you're supposed to figure it out as you go. And so it's like, okay, well, one of the big things when you have a really uh, little baby or not uh, a really uh, young child, right? So like in the first few months, even sure, a lot of people will say, oh, babies are so boring. They can't really do anything. And it's like, there's so much that your baby is learning and needs to be learning right now. And parents and adults just don't know those things because again, you don't remember that there were times that you didn't know those things. So we're trying to help parents understand this is what your baby's uh, development looks like right now. And then even past that, here are things that you can do to take advantage of this time because we're not reinventing child development. Like, sure. That's science, right? Like we're Dr. taking Spock that. might have already yeah, right. <laughs> but we're trying to take that information and make it really salient and actionable for parents so that they can do things with their baby during playtime based on how their child is developing so that their baby actually reacts back to them. You'll see, you know, parents trying to play peekaboo with their like three week old and you're like, of course your baby is not, you know, reacting back to you because they can't even process what's happening. They can't see that far in front of their face. They don't understand the importance of it. And so then if parents are trying to do that and it's, you know, the baby isn't responding back and they're like, oh, this is boring. Let's just like watch TV or something. It's like, no, no, no. Like there are things that your baby is doing right now that you can be um, interacting with them about. You just don't necessarily know what those things are. And we've all heard that reading is important to read Mm -hmm. to your child. And obviously when you're reading to a baby, the baby isn't interacting, you know, with what you're reading. But Mm -hmm. I guess it all makes sense that when you're reading to a baby, your eye contact with them, your Mm -hmm. voice inflections, your you're making connections in that way. So is that why you thought, did you think about the book first or each book comes with a child development card and then also a card for the parents? So it was more the developmental piece first. And then um, because everyone is told to read to their babies, it was like, well, why don't we just try to take the modality that parents are already in tune with and just use that as the way to 
kind of get into their homes, if you will. So that's where the idea of bringing the books came in. Okay. And then it also kind of just became, well, how could we tell stories differently? I mean, the books that we've written are not typical children's books. Like they tell stories, like the first book is about Ellie's birth story. Like it's not traditional children's stories that we're telling. We're telling them in a way that you can certainly read to your child. It's not inappropriate or anything like that. But they're also written for parents, for parents to relate to and understand. So more than a Pat the Bunny type of experience. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, goodness. well, and especially for like really uh, early like board books, baby books, a lot of those stories are very simplistic, very, you know, single word type stuff and trying to give parents a, something that's a little bit more enjoyable to read. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit more engaging. Yeah. Um, you chose an elephant and an otter for mm-hmm. specific reasons. Tell me about that because Ellie's the elephant. Yep. And Ot is the otter. Yeah. So um, elephants have always been my favorite animal. And I named my daughter Ellie. Not did after you seriously? An elephant. She was after a grandma, but Cute. I did like them too. I love that. Um, and I was on a walk one day and I had been calling these like the baby box or something like that. And I was like, I need a real name for this company. And so I was on this walk and I was just thinking about elephants and I was like, oh, they're so like matriarchal and, um, you know, intelligent and wise and all of those things. And I was like, that would be like a great personification for you know a character kind of a thing so then it was like well is there a male component of that that could kind of have that same thing and I did a ton of research couldn't really find like animals that necessarily fit that but I was thinking about otters and I've always felt like I resonate with an elephant in the sense of being like a strong woman and you know that drive and like memory and that sort of a thing but I've always wanted to resonate with an otter because I feel like they're so fun and they are carefree and they don't take themselves too seriously. And that's like not me at all, but what I want to be someday. Sure. So it's what you uh, it's are like hoping my aspirational. to aspire to. Yeah, yes. Exactly. So then it was like, well... Ah is a name that, you know, you could name a child and that would be an easy thing for people to pronounce. And then Ah the Otter is, you know, the kind of the other family. And so it felt like two animals that you see elephants a ton in baby stuff. You really don't see otters that much, um, but still a cute furry little animal. And yeah, just felt like we could create two families around that. That could be um, really nice. Did you write the books? Yes. And did you illustrate the books? No. So I have um, an illustrator that I work with who also has written some of the books and her and I kind of um, have co-written those. And then she's also an amazing editor. So like even if I wrote the book and I'll send it to her and she looks at it and she's like, oh, it doesn't really feel like there's much of an ending here. Like what could we change it for? And so she's been very instrumental in helping to build the books out and make them as robust as they are. Um, And I kind of happenstance met her through a friend and loved her illustration style and I feel like that has been kind of the cornerstone of the way that we talk about the brand and everything like through the way that she's kind of brought it to life. How long have you been working on this concept from the time that you started to now? So just over a year so I left my job last June and moved to this full-time. And how long before you left your job? Because a lot of people, they were working on their companies you know six months a year or whatever before yeah. they ever left. Yeah so I didn't really work on the company that much. I had the idea for something like this maybe four years ago and kind of noodled on it, fell in and out of love with my job like along those ways. And um, the more that I fell out of love with my job, I started to really look deeply into like what could this sort of a thing be. Um, And I told myself in, so what would have been 2017 at the time, that in 2018, I need to make a decision on this because I let myself kind of waffle quite a bit Mm -hmm. and say, oh yeah, in the future, I want to do this, whatever. And I was like, you need to make a decision because the more that you just keep in the back of your head, the more that you're never going to do anything with it. 
And so, yeah, so then I made the so decision to do it. So you did it, sort of went into a cold turkey, like you yeah. quit your job and were just like, okay, I'm going to start mm-hmm. a company today. Yeah, I've been saving money for a number of years knowing that I eventually wanted to do this. And I was at a point in my job where I was just like not at all happy there. I was having like anxiety attacks and like all that kind of stuff. And it was like, this is not a healthy place for me to be. And so yep. it didn't really make sense to try to work on this while I was trying to um, work at my job. And also timing wise, the illustrator was living in London, moving to LA. And so it was right around that same time that I left my job. And so it kind of worked out happen- very happenstance of like, we can both start working on this at the same time. And then the psychologist that I work with also was kind of around that time looking to get back into something. She had just had a, a baby. And so, um, yeah, so timing wise, it kind of felt like everything lined up to to launch into it. How much money did you save up to start your business? Um, so, so my dad's financial planner. So I've been technically saving for my entire life. <laughs> it's been dad. very much ingrained in yeah. my life. Yeah. So, um, since I was a kid, I had had mutual funds that I'd been uh, putting money into. So I had like probably 30 to $40,000. That's in a pretty those. good nest egg. Yeah. Yeah. And it was great because even like I studied abroad in college and I had money that I could take from that to like have fun money over there and stuff like that. So having that built in from an early age was awesome. And then every month I would contribute to my mutual funds and put that money away and then had my savings account. So I had probably like probably around 40 grand when I left you. my job and then probably another like 15 in my savings account. Yeah. And thinking this would last me like at least just, two or three that years. That was the next question. <laughs> yeah. Like, and how long did it last? <laughs> and I had, so in my mind, I was thinking, okay, these people that I'm working with will be like co-founders with me and I won't be paying them. And ended up that they were both in a place where it was like, well, I can't really work for free right now. And so I need to be paid. And so then that's what really made the money last, like not long at all, because I was now having to pay people in order to bring this to life. Um, So yeah, it was probably about a year that then I was like, oh, I need to probably get back into freelancing. (laughs) Yeah. So then did you take on a part-time job? Yeah. So I kind of looked around. I have a freelance job with one of the medical device manufacturers here that, um, so I used to work in design research, um, with the medical like consulting company that I worked at for a long time. And so then, um, doing kind of similar work of going and talking to patients, doctors, that sort of a thing to figure out what are the things that need to be changed in the next product or how could a service be made better, that kind of stuff. So at this point, you are working on your business full time, but Mm -hmm. you have a part time job to just keep funding the business. Yeah. And I always ask these questions and I know they're a little uncomfortable. So thank you for being so honest, because I think people listening to this podcast that are rolling around with ideas in their head kind of want to know like mm-hmm. how much is it going to take and I will tell you all you never have enough no matter how much you yeah. have <laughs> and it's always uh about a year and a half to two years into it where you're like wow I'm not really making any money I'm spending a ton of money mm-hmm. is this a viable product that I can stay with and then of course if you are in it five years or more it's usually at that point that you're unhirable by anybody else mm-hmm. because you're so used to just being your own boss. yeah well, that's where like freelance contract work is kind of great still because it's like, well, I can still roll in at 10. Like I don't need to be here. Yeah, and you can like, kind of work on your own time. Right. And, yeah. Um, are you a mom? No. So it's interesting that you're in this space. Mm-hmm. And 
this is gonna this is kind of a weird thing to say but until you've had a child you're sort of in camp a Mm -hmm. then you have a child and you're in camp b Mm -hmm. and you usually aren't able to pass in both camps successfully if you've never had children and you talk about children's things people get like what are you talking about you have no idea right if if you have children it's like it's changed your whole life and you can't ever really relate to what it's like to not have had children Mm -hmm. Do you find that you're kind of in a weird space in that you're producing books for infants and children and you've never had any? Completely. Yeah. And I definitely feel this imposter syndrome of like, well, I'm not a mom. So how far into even like in our social media, I'm very careful to not um, give parenting advice or anything like that, unless it's maybe based on science. That's the one area that I feel like because not being a parent, everything that we talk about is really grounded in science, whether it's actual child development or if it's like behavioral science. And that's where a lot of the parenting skill stuff comes from. Um, But I also, so I have a number of friends who have kids and family members. And so they were, uh, you know, consulted heavily (laughs) in the development of this. Um, And part of me thinks not being a mom might have been, I wouldn't say better in creating this, but it was beneficial in the sense that I didn't have my own experience to rely on. And so I had to crowdsource a lot of experiences. So I wasn't coming into this saying, well, this was my experience. And so this is how it is for everyone. And that's just how we're going to put this all together. So in some respects, I think it allowed me to be more broad and open to receiving feedback and receiving stories from other people. That's a really interesting point of view. Mm -hmm. And a, a lot of people start businesses because they're inspired by something that their kid needs or their kid wants. But that in and of itself usually isn't enough of a platform to make a successful business. Right. So you kind of came at it from the reverse, which I admire. I think that's unique. Yeah. How do you, did you have any background in marketing? Because now you've got the research, you've got the story, you've got these actual physical, tangible books. Mm -hmm. It's a great gift item I can see for like showers and that sort of thing. How do you all of a sudden find yourself marketing in the mommy space? So that's been really difficult. Marketing in general is like not my strong suit at all. (laughs) And the product development, the research, the operations, all of that, that was like where all my passion was. And then when we got the books, I was like, oh my gosh, I did not spend nearly enough time building up the marketing before we launched this. Right. And just kind of assumed like having, you know, a good social media, having a good looking website, like all of that would be enough to just like sell it. And it definitely was not. And so having to be creative and, you know, so like we reach out to a lot of um, mommy bloggers, influencers, stuff like that on Instagram Mm -hmm. and um, just through the internet and saying like, hey, if we send you a book, everyone usually has a baby that's either within the age range or is pregnant with like another child that would be in that age range Mm -hmm. Um, and saying like, if we send you a book, will you talk about it? And that's been moderately successful. I think we've found some good, um, you know, like new people following us or people visiting our website and checking us out. Um, It hasn't led to purchases in the same way that I kind of had expected it to. Yeah. And I think that there's a little bit of the bloom is off the rose with mm-hmm. that kind of marketing too. It used to be you could give someone your product to try and then it was sort of understood that they would mention it or mm-hmm. talk about it and you didn't exchange money, you just exchanged product. Right. Then it became like, sure, if you want to pay me to do that and... If you didn't pay, you weren't always guaranteed that you got placement. And mm-hmm. I imagine for you, it costs probably 10 bucks to send a book to someone between production right. and shipping. And yeah. Yeah. And so then it's kind of like, well, if I'm not getting any return on this, and it's a weird space too, because you can't really say, well, I'll pay you if someone buys this and, you know, all of those things. And influencer marketing in general is 
just such a weird concept of like, oh, you post pictures of yourself and you happen to have like, you know, 50,000 followers and, you know, people that watch your stuff. But even like we've had some people post that it's been like thousands of likes on the photo and people commenting like these books are so awesome. I love this idea. But then nobody buys them. And so it's like, is is this fake? Like, Is this real life that you guys are all doing this? But then you're not actually engaging in the brand. You're just... I don't know, trying to comment to like get this other person to comment back. I don't know. Yes. It feels weird. Yeah. A lot of times it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm kind of in the food space myself mm-hmm. and y- you know, I don't get, you know, thousands of likes on any of the stuff I do. What I do have is the authenticity of that. People trust if I say something's good, they might try it. Right. And it's a smaller reach. It's a more authentic reach, mm-hmm. but it's hard to know. It's hard to know. And I think if you're a brand, like you're looking at these people and you're like, oh my gosh, they have a million followers and there's 200,000 likes on each picture. But, you know, you can't really usually translate that to a purchase. Right. And you're small enough that you're really tracking that and you really know. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're Procter & Gamble where, you know, if they're trying this new product. But with that said, then what do you do next? So that's kind of been the challenge right now, trying to figure out how to get creative and doing things like podcast interviews, trying to get, you know, press and things like that. Um, I think the book space has also been so initially when we were starting this, we approached it as a product, not a book. Mm -hmm. And I think that was beneficial in some respects, but it made it difficult when it comes to um, getting into stores and getting into traditional places that people are going to buy books. Even like Amazon with book selling is a beast. It's so much harder. I was going to ask you about that. They make the process so much more difficult as a, cause we're self-published. And yep. so as a like very small publisher, we don't have the same, um, reach and influence on Amazon. We can't get into their marketing circles. And so then it makes it very difficult for, you literally have to go to Amazon and just search our product to find it. I can't advertise it or anything like that. Um, and even just the, yeah, the stipulations and the hoops that we had to go through to prove that we were a publisher and that our books were real <laughs> and all of those things were just like mind-blowingly crazy because I have so many friends that sell on Amazon and they're like oh my gosh you're gonna make so much money so fast like it's the best place to be and then it's just been the opposite experience yeah and I wonder if the opposite it was it's it sounds like it's specific to a book yeah I think it's like books and media in general like maybe CDs and movies Mm -hmm. and stuff are kind of similar where it's like really just big companies are the only companies that can do this you know what's interesting about that So this, I've had this idea of, you know, I've talked with all of you makers and Mm -hmm. many of you have products and I thought, well, it would be nice if I could have a website where like sort of the university of Minnesota foundation does Mm -hmm. where I feature all of you makers and you all have the opportunity to sell some products Mm -hmm. there, but I don't want to ship it and I don't want to warehouse it. And I don't want to send you an email. Hey, you got an order. There really isn't. Like a, a way to almost to do, do like all a that curated Amazon. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Um, if anybody knows, please reach out to me because I have gone down this road a couple different times. Yeah. I really would love to feature all these Minnesota products of mm-hmm. people that I've talked to and give people a way to access them and purchase them. For you, like, you know, someone might be able to find you at a trade show or someone mm-hmm. might be able to find you at an event or one store, mm-hmm. but podcasts are much more than statewide now. So we have all these people that are interested in these products Mm -hmm. and they can't find them. Yeah. No, that's a good point because you really just have to either go to like our website or 
you know, if you go into Target and you're like, oh, I heard about these books. I wonder if they're there. We're not there. That's right. Target, if you're listening, we'd love to be there. But. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another person I talked to, Essence One, they make um, essential oils and they have a specific deodorant that's really great for cancer survivors hmm. because it has no chemicals in it and it smells great. Nice. And she was selling sort of at boutiques and pop-ups and she had a website but she eventually started a store with a group of other women because mm. people wanted to go to a store to buy her yeah. product and they couldn't. I sell candles too. I have a little candle company. And so we'll be at um, markets and everyone's always like, oh, what stores are you in? Like, And I'm like, you can buy the product literally right now. You yes. don't have to go to a store. But I think it's that idea of like, maybe I don't want this today. Or if I buy one today, like where could I find it yeah. later on? And so, and you would think it would be simple enough to be like, oh, we'll just go to our website. But people yeah. don't. Right. And it's kind of a pain to go to someone's website and specifically register, create mm-hmm. a profile, like all that. It's a lot easier and I'm sounding so lazy, but just to pick and, you know, well, and that's where like Amazon makes it so easy because you mm-hmm. don't have to reenter your credit card information. You don't have to put in your shipping address. Right. You literally can just say, here's the product I want. Send it to me tomorrow kind of a thing. And on our website, it's, you have to pay for shipping. You have to, you know, do all of these other hoops. And so it does make the burden much higher. And the shipping piece is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I used to have a company and we sold online and it would cost me, you know, $7 and 95 cents to ship you something. Mm-hmm. If Amazon is telling you they're going to ship it for free, you're automatically like down $7 and 95 cents. Completely. Uh, we ended up having to offer free shipping just to stay competitive. But mm-hmm. I know that that's a really a hardship for a lot of small businesses. Have you thought about, or maybe you do a subscription? Yes. So that was actually the original goal was to do a subscription box. And that's the reason that the books and the cards are all separate. Um, because you know, we would show it to people and say, okay, imagine this arrives on your doorstep. Like, what do you pay for it? Is this enough stuff that you're getting? Like, what does it feel like for value? And, um, the challenges that we ran into were mostly around one, we didn't launch with the full 12 months. And so it was kind of like, we just ordered the first three months to kind of dip our toes in and like keep moving. And so it was kind of like, well, a subscription that's just for the first three months, is that going to really be effective? Um, And then we had interest from stores. And so then it was like, well, a subscription product in a store doesn't really work. And so if we're just selling to a store, like, you know, maybe a direct retail model just makes more sense right now. So that's what we did. I think that eventually moving back into a subscription would be a pretty good space for us to be in, especially because we've crafted these to be a month by month. Yeah. And I can product. see like if you have uh, someone who's pregnant and you want to mm-hmm. give them a gift and you want it to be something different, right? you could buy them a whole year mm-hmm. and, you know, do something like that. Also, are there other product offshoots? Yeah. So certainly in the future, there's a lot of ability to move into like merchandising. So, you know, stuffed animals being an obvious type of one, but even clothing or things like that would be easy to get into, especially when you have characters to base on. I think that is something that um, we lucked into for sure. It wasn't a strategic move, but having characters, I think, allows us to get into other spaces so much more easily than um, brands that are in our same space, but just have a brand name. Mm-hmm. It's essentially saying here, I can sell you a onesie that has cute animals and illustrations on it, or I can sell you a onesie that just has a brand name on it because yep. they can't really branch out into anything more. Um, but then and, also and like the more media. educational focus is kind of yeah. dry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then media would be another easy one. So getting into, so past this of the first year books, it's moving into similar sort of concept, but just older books or 
books for older children and moving into more like behavioral type topics. So things like, um, you know, yeah. And like, (laughs) you know, learning the importance of brushing your teeth, like things like that and ways for parents. For 15 year old boys and girls. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing too, because like the issue with this is that it's month by month. Right. And so if you have an eight month old, you're like, oh, they're past like the relevance for these things. And it's like, they're not, but if you have a book about brushing your teeth, that could be relevant to your four-year-old or your 15-year-old. Yeah. So there is a lot more reach that we can have when we start getting into those older books. Um, and those will still fall in the same vein of helping parents better understand how their child is perceiving the world and what so they can do So that's the main tenant. Yes, completely. And then it must be hard for you because everything seems like a good idea. Yeah. Because I'm already like sitting here like, oh, this is a great idea. And that is a great idea. Mm-hmm. And part of what gets hard for entrepreneurs is to focus. Yeah. How do you, you've got that overarching, is this something that's going to be helpful for mm-hmm. kids and parents? How do you vet whether the idea is worth moving forward on or just a great idea, but maybe not for me. So right now, the easy way to focus is that I have like 5,000 books in my basement. So I was <laughs> that makes it about that. really easy to say <laughs> we can't do anything else because we have all of this product and we have to just focus on selling this product. So what does a typical day look like for you? So that's a good question. I don't know that I have a super typical day. So, I mean, in the morning, it would be waking up, going to Alchemy for my workout. Do you do the A10 or the A20? I do the A20s. I want to talk with them. They're a local company. They're They're building these um, workouts that if you do them every day, like basically you're guaranteed premier fitness. Yeah. They, my like cardio has never been higher. My strength has never been higher. And you're not necessarily lifting heavy weights in the class. It might be like a 20 pound weight that you're using, but you do so many reps. And yeah, I, I've never been more into fitness than when I found alchemy. Yeah, so, it's kind of a lifestyle. So yeah, that's completely. a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so you start with your A20. Yeah. So then I do that and then either, um, so I joined the coven. So, um, I will work out of there sometimes. I'm going to just go the coven is a yeah. workspace that is primarily for women, mm-hmm. only for women. It is located in the North Loop, and they're actually opening another location in St. Paul. Yeah. You should talk to them, too. They were super interesting. I actually uh, have – we've gone down the road, and then I just haven't scheduled it. Okay, so yeah. I probably need to. Yeah. It's going to be right by my house, so Yeah, that's right. That. The new one is, yeah. Um, so then you so do then you go going to the coven there, every day? Not every day. So I actually have – I'm on kind of a break from the coven. I am in the Beta MN um, cohort this um the semester I was going to And tell say. me what that is. Yeah, so Beta MN is like a local um, Minnesota-based startup kind of um, – it's not an incubator, but kind of like that. So they kick off every cohort with the Beta Showcase, which is basically like a science fair for startups. So you go around and you can um, – everyone has a table. You have, you know, like posters and you have your product and all that kind of stuff. And people just go around and you can talk to the entrepreneurs up close and see what are the things that they're doing and um, – a lot of it is technology-based. I was the only one who was solely product-based, and there was another company that was both product and technology, mm-hmm. but most of them are apps or websites, and so it's a lot of people like demoing their um, product or yep. that kind of a thing, and then just trying to get better awareness about what you're providing. And then they do, um, I think it lasts for six months, yeah. And then they do kind of programming after that. So they'll bring in different business people, um, people in different domain areas, people around fundraising, and just have kind of talks and conversations. And then they do like um, press events and fundraising events. And Has it been helpful like for you? Yeah. So it's been, um, it's been great overall, for sure. Not being technology focused has been, um, it's not so much that it, 
hasn't been good for me, but that a lot of, because everyone else is technology focused, a lot of the people that come in and talk about raising money are all talking about like your technology or your software or your, you know, SaaS company. And it's like, well, that's not me at all. And so how do I need to approach fundraising? Because it is a different space when you're not an app. Um, So things like that have made it a little bit challenging, Um, but they give you amazing resources and you get access to people that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten access to before. Um, And it's just kind of in a a group of people, you get to talk with other entrepreneurs who are in the same, um, you know, lifestyle as you and can go through the same struggles as you. And you can talk about things from the same perspective rather than maybe talking to people who, you know, not only haven't started a company, but it just aren't in the same stage as you. Because that's the hard part. When you talk to people who have started companies, especially when they've been successful, they don't remember those really early days all the time. And they can't always relate to the pain that, you know, I might be going through. Um, Or they at least have the shiny ending at the end. And I don't have that yet. So how much of your time in your day to day is spent on sales and how much is spent on marketing? Um, so I would say most of it is spent on marketing only because so, um, sales specifically in terms of like going to a store and trying to get them or to carry a product. Calling. Or, I don't know how you, yep, how do you sell it? Yeah. So, um, it was kind of weird because the very first week we had two stores that we had contacted and they were like, yep, love it. Let's bring it in. And so I'm like, great. Like, this is the model. Like, this is going to work. <laughs> That's the beginner's yeah. luck part. Oh, completely. It was just like, because it hasn't worked that way at all since then. No other store has picked us up. Um, I've had different reasons, the majority of them being, well, we buy all of our books from a distributor. And I was so, going to ask yeah. about that. So then I contacted a number of distributors and was like, hey, like, you know, I would love to see about getting our books into your distribution line or whatever. And, um, most of them were like, well, we work with, you know, major publishers who have 50 new books every quarter that we're talking about. Like, we're not going to talk about your book every single time that we go to meet with people. We're only going to talk about the books that are just coming out. Mm -hmm. And so maybe the first time you, you know, get people into the store, but after that, you know, you don't. And so even kind of the piece of like the marketing and why that needs to be more of a focus, I feel like is that even once you get a book into a store, it's not the end of it, right? Like we also need to get people to go into the store to buy the book. So how can we get better awareness, get better, you know, following for people to understand what our product is and how it can be helpful and useful for them. And you're having to do a lot of guerrilla marketing, I'm assuming. Yeah. Cause you don't have, I mean, do you have marketing I don't have money? budgets to do that. And that's even where kind of the contracting job came in of like, okay, I need to build back up my savings so that we have more money available for ad spends. Um, and even just being able to bring someone on who knows marketing a lot better than I do. That has been, I have no interest in marketing. That is the hardest part for me. Like I will spend days and hours trying to figure out like the best manufacturers to go with and communicating about pricing and you know working on the product and all of that and then when it comes to marketing I struggle to like really understand it and learn it and I don't have like personal social media that I really engage with too much and so you're so lucky yeah (laughs) that's like my whole life like I go on Instagram but I post on Instagram maybe like once every few months or something and so having to kind of reframe your brain to be like oh I need to start taking more pictures and more things that I could put up on, you know, Instagram and on Facebook and all that kind of stuff has been, uh, difficult to get into for sure. (laughs) And it's, it's challenging. It's, it's kind of 24 seven too. And if you don't like it, Mm -hmm. you're just forcing yourself to always be like, yeah, 
and forcing yourself to try to figure out like how do I create you know captions that people read and that you know convert to the actual going to my website and buying our product and it's even, funny to hear you even talk like that because yeah. that's I mean I'm a marketer and we just like oh I'm gonna try this I'm gonna try that I'm gonna try mm-hmm. this and you're totally talking about it like from a research perspective, yeah, like what right. kind of <laughs> caption is going to create an action uh-huh. that's going to result in a sale at my website and create the ROI that I need. And, and while all of that is great, it's probably a little bit of both that's yeah, required, right? a little bit of finesse of, you know, you can have analysis by paralysis mm-hmm. too. And sometimes you just got to put stuff out there and you yeah. don't know what works. Yeah. That, that's been the challenge too of like you spend all this time trying to figure out how to do something and then you still also have to do it. Yes. And that's where like my contract job being the same stuff I've done before. It's like it was so great to finally be in a space where I was like, oh, I already know how to do this. I just get to do it. Like instead it's of having to figure like, out all of that. In, in some ways, it's kind of like parenting. Yeah, when that's you. True. I had a baby and she's going to be 21 this year. So that's how long ago it was. I was a worker when I had the baby mm-hmm. and I took six weeks of vacation. And after that six weeks was over, I was dying to go back to work because I didn't know how to do a baby. Yeah. I was feeling very, I lacked confidence. It was nerve wracking. It was scary. And like when I got to my actual job, when I went back to work, people were like, I can't believe you went back to work with the six week old baby. I was like, well, hey, that's what we did. Yeah. Cause we didn't have maternity benefits no my mom was the same yeah I I got two weeks of vacation yeah Yeah. and then I had to go back to work because we didn't have money Mm -hmm. but outside of that the benefit was I got to go to work and I knew what my job entailed like I knew what I was supposed to do so Mm -hmm. I think when I heard about your product that appealed to me too because I felt as a new mom really like a fish out of water Mm -hmm. and just I lacked confidence and I was scared all the time and yeah just like oh am I doing this right and how am I going to make sure that my kid isn't one of those kids, you know? And I suspect now with technology too, it's even worse because let's face it. Sometimes you put the baby down and in front of the Teletubbies which is what we did in the day. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, 10 minutes of mind clearing, just mm-hmm. like, okay, I can get through the rest of this day. Yeah. Now with technology, it would be really hard for me not to give my kid an iPad on occasion. I go to restaurants and I watch people oh, eating with their constantly. families. And you see the couple engaging and then the kids are just all individually on their pads. It could be a family of three and the mom and dad are probably talking, but the kids are just totally in their own zone. You know, I don't know. I think about that. Like I get it. I'd want to do it too. Mm -hmm. I probably would do it. (laughs) But also like, what are you teaching your kid about how to interact in a restaurant Mm -hmm. and with other family members and strangers in a group setting? Right. I mean, I obviously grew up when, even I got my first cell phone at like 16 or 17 and it was, you know, the tiny like touchscreen ones. Like there was nothing like, I think I was in college when the first iPhone came out. So, um, but even growing up, like we had TV obviously, but my parents were always like, turn the TV off. We're having dinner. Like everyone is contributing to the conversation. And that was something that I grew up with that I feel like was very fundamental to creating, you know, a good family unit and, you know, no shame at all for people who can't always have that. But the way that technology has kind of infiltrated all of those social social norms and the way that people probably need to be engaging a lot more is 
pretty sad. Like when you go to restaurants and you do see all the kids on their own iPads, it's not even like, because even when we first started getting technology, you had to share. Like your family only had one. So you had like three people crowded around one person playing on like the Game Boy or something. But now like everyone has their own and you're just like, wait, like you guys aren't even talking to each other as you're doing this. Like, Or I've also seen like families that are with another family Mm -hmm. and like the kids are all together, but they're all on their own things. They're not even playing with each other. They aren't in their own family. Mm Mm-hmm. It is, um, it is interesting. I think too, as entrepreneurs, I am totally addicted to my own technology Mm -hmm. because I'm constantly posting. I'm looking for things to post. I'm looking for ideas. I'm looking for new ways to do things that also takes away from my family time. Mm -hmm. Like to, to know like, okay, I'm doing social media for this client and someone might need something or say something and I'm not responsive enough. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I can't ever take a minute off and I'm really trying to work on that. I have not been very successful at all but I'm trying to work on what balance looks like Mm -hmm. when you are responsible for being a responsive customer service person Mm -hmm. too Um, I imagine for you that comes into play too yeah totally and when you have to constantly be creating content to go up on Instagram or Facebook or all of those like it takes you out of the moment when and so I mean obviously for us it's content about the product Mm -hmm. but you know when I was at my family reunion last weekend and we were up in Brainerd and it was beautiful and I took a couple of pictures but it wasn't like the entire time I was like oh I have to get a picture of the sunset so I can post it on Instagram and like show it to other people it's like no I'm experiencing the sunset on my own like why do I need to I don't know share that yeah like everyone's seen a sunset before like things like that but it's just when your mind has to be geared around how can I capture this moment and share it with other people versus just how can I experience this for myself and be super present in the moment, um, I think changes a lot about how you experience life. It sure does. Um, Have you uh, talked about or have you done any pop-ups or are there things for parents that you can go and do like direct sales? Has that been beneficial? Yeah. So I haven't done as many for Ellie and Nod. I've done like more for the candles. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are more of kind of a traditional market type item. Um, I'm going to, and I'm blanking on the name of it it's a thing in Minnetonka in the fall they're doing like a walk and roll or something Uh like where you bring your shoulders and stuff and then they're doing a little market with that and so we'll be there and it's all around like a it's not a school but it's um I like feel horrible that I'm completely no, that's okay. not remembering the name of this at all. But yeah, something like that. It's all around like early childhood development. So it'll be a very res- uh, relatable space for us to be in. You know what else is weird? And people don't really think about this, but getting information about who's pregnant and who's having a baby mm-hmm. is very confidential. Yeah. Like it's very hard. I, I worked in direct mail and you could buy lists for everything and you can buy lists of pregnant people, mm-hmm. but they're not super reliable. All the HIPAA rules really prevent right. you from getting a lot of information. It's not like you can be like, oh, I want moms in the 18 to 34 year old space that mm-hmm. are pregnant. Right. It's not that simple to to execute. Right. Um, so you kind of have to get into those circles. Mm -hmm. That's where even like the influencer marketing has been like pretty touchy because it's someone who might be pregnant, but that doesn't mean that their followers are all pregnant or that their followers are all having babies at that same time. And so it's not as easy as saying, Oh, like, you know, this outfit is an outfit I would normally wear. And so my followers are used to seeing this and they will happily go and buy this because they're coming to me for that. Like it's, a harder sort of thing and just the time-based nature of it makes it harder to kind of find your target market always. And like now that women are having babies later in life, like yes. it's anywhere from, yeah, like truly an 18 to like 40, yep. <laughs> like age range that people, and I feel like our product 
resonates more with a little bit of an older mom, just someone who is maybe a little bit more attuned to education and wanting to, sure. um, you know, provide that for their children um, from an early stage and maybe a little bit more interested in doing the reading and kind of the research as well. And so this helps to take a lot of the legwork out of it, but still provides the content for them. And it's not like a shirt where anyone can buy this shirt. You might Mm -hmm. like it. You might not like it. If I'm, you know, 28 years old and I'm not in the space of having children, if you're serving me up information about baby books, I'm like, oh, so out of here. There's no like crossover at all. I never thought about that. Yeah. And you can, I think on like the Instagram audiences, there was something around like early families, but it's also like, like, I don't know anyone that goes on Facebook and posts like I, unless they are just crawling your space essentially to say, we see that you are posting pictures of a baby and we see that it started on this date. And so we can kind of assume that you are a parent of a child this age. Um, That's just creeper. There's nothing that you have put on there to necessarily say I had a child on this day. That's right. Um, So yeah, like the targeting of the marketing is very, very difficult when it comes to that, especially too, because like you mentioned a gift item. So a lot of people will say, oh my gosh, this would be great for like grandparents to give and um, aunts and uncles, like people like that who uh, are very big into books and want, you know, a more thoughtful kind of gift to be giving to their um, family members or, you know, whomever that's having babies. But then it's also like, well, then that target market is extremely wide open because there's no way for us to necessarily know that one, you had a child and that your child is about to have a child and you could be in the age range of, you know, 50 to like 80 at that time. And how much, you know, are you engaging on social media all the time to find that information? And do you write down like goals? Like, do you know, like the next three months, this is my goal. The next six months, this is my goal. Um, no, I wouldn't say that I'm good about doing that. I probably should be. Are you more just intuitive about like, these are the things I need to get done today? Yeah, I think it's more about kind of this is what and not so much today, but like these are the things that we need to be focusing on, like um, trying to holiday because it is coming up. Yep. Holiday and even just trying to figure out like, okay, how do we, um, you know, create social media that is going to be more uh, resonating with other people or um, how do we I think a lot of it, especially when it comes to the marketing, is more of the I need to figure out, like, what are the things I need to do? And then how do I do those things? And then doing those things Mm -hmm. like it's almost because I'm just so not in that space at all. It makes it much more difficult to even know where that strategy should kind of go. Um, When I think about the strategy for the product, like I have that down. (laughs) I know that Um, it's just a lot harder when it comes to not only just executing on the marketing, but figuring out what should go into that marketing. All right. So before we wrap up, uh, we're going to give you the opportunity to give a one minute, 30 seconds, one minute, whatever commercial about how we're going to get rid of these 5,000 books in your basement. (laughs) Sounds great. Um, So LA Not is a book series that is all around following families through the first year of their baby's life. And so right now we have the first six months on the market. Um, Each month has a storybook that accompanies different uh, playtime activities that are all based around the baby's development at that age and then helping parents to understand what you can actually do to take advantage of this time um, rather than just serving up information. It's all about how do we make it actionable. Um, but then also because parents are people too and they need to be you know perfecting and working on their own skills, we have a theme for each month. So like the first month is survival mode and you get three different strategies that just help you get through that first month. The second month is recovery mode, like helping to give parents also some things that they can be thinking about. And they're not um, like how to swaddle your baby or how to you know burp your baby, anything like that. It's much more what are 
relaxation techniques that you can take and use throughout your everyday life. I mean, these are almost just like how to adult better, mm-hmm. <laughs> not even yeah. just like how to be a parent, but knowing That's that it. there's they are a book series. Very, in yeah, right. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so we have the first six months available and we sell them individually or as a set of three or a set of six. And, um, you can find us on our website. So com E-L-L-I-E-A-N-D-O-T-T.com. So Ellie and Ott, um, follow us on social media. So we have, I think a pretty decent Instagram going it's Ellie and Ott. Um, and then yeah, that's kind of the primary places that we exist right now. Um, right. You can find us, sorry, really quick, in Minneapolis, we're in Pacifier. And so you can find us in the Pacifier stores too. I love that um, store. Yeah, it's, it's that was like the guests. dream baby store to get into. Yeah. And they were like the first ones to say yes. And so I was like, well, if we got them, like everyone else is going to be easy. And then it was like, oh no, these are the good people because they take on really unique and great products. Not, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Rachel, for thank being you a so guest much, on Stephanie. the Makers of Minnesota podcast. Yeah, this is great. Thank you.